Let's open God's Word now to Psalm 25. read God's Word in connection with the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 52, which you can find on page 27 in the back of the Psalter. Now let's worship God in reading His Word in Psalm 25. The Psalm of David. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed, let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed, let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation, on thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness' sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. He will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. O bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. O keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for... I put my trust in Thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on Thee. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. May God press these words of the psalmist on our hearts and souls today and in this week. Let's read now the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 52. Question and answer 127, which is the sixth petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and besides this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, cease not to assault us. Do Thou, therefore, preserve and strengthen us by the power of Thy Holy Spirit, that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes, till at last we obtain a complete victory. Question and answer 128. How dost Thou conclude Thy prayer? For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, forever. That is, all these we ask of Thee, because Thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. And all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but Thy holy name may be glorified forever. Question and answer 129. What doth the word Amen signify? 
Amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of Him. Beloved, we lift our souls to the Lord and our trust is in Him. With the psalmist, we pray and we have learned from the Heidelberg Catechism in past weeks to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who trespass against us. A prayer for the forgiveness of our sins. That God, for Christ's sake, will no longer remember our sins or our corrupt natures against which we have to strive all of this life, but will graciously impute to us the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ, that we receive that by faith, and that we receive the assurance that God will not mark our sins, will not pull our sins from under a rug to condemn us in the last day, but has cast our sins into the sea of His forgetfulness. And yet Jesus teaches us that the prayer for the forgiveness of our sins cannot be the last of our petitions. In the perfect prayer that He taught us, He also teaches us that the prayer for the forgiveness of our sins looks ahead to something else, to a better and higher and more glorious state the state of the life that is to come, where the prayer for forgiveness will not be necessary any longer. In our life and consciousness as Christian people, justification never lives alone without sanctification. That's what Jesus teaches us as He follows the prayer for the forgiveness of sins with the prayer that God will not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from all evil. The prayer for the forgiveness of sins is the beginning of a sincere love for God and the consciousness of a deep sorrow as we stand before the righteous and holy God and our sins and sinfulness are exposed and we are led to cry for pardon. But by the same token, our prayer for the forgiveness of sins cannot be the final request with respect to sin. As long as we are in need of the prayer for remission, we have not reached perfection. We still are sinful and still transgress the good commandments of God. That's what Psalm 25 verse 7 teaches. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. We still sin against God in thought, word, and deed. And Jesus teaches us that we cannot be satisfied with this condition. The blessing of the forgiveness of sins is unspeakably precious. When we hear God speak to us in the form of our consciousness daily pardoning our sins for the sake of the perfect righteousness and shed blood of Christ, we rejoice. We experience true joy. And yet Jesus teaches us to long for perfection. He teaches us that out of the same sorrow after God, which makes us bemoan our sins and moves us to cry out for forgiveness, we also hate sin, realize the danger of falling into temptation, the constant threat of temptation while we are in this world so that we seek strength to fight against the powers of evil around us and within us, and to long and pray for the time when we will be completely redeemed out of all our troubles in the life that is to come, where we will serve our Father in perfect righteousness. 
So our prayer for forgiveness needs to be followed as Jesus teaches us by the prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Notice the order in Psalm 25, verses 18 and 19, where the psalmist says, Look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all of my sins. That's not the end of his prayer. He goes on in verse 19, Consider mine enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. And verse 20, Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in Thee. So Jesus teaches us to pray. The ground for this prayer is that we pray to a God who has all kingdom power and glory. We pray to the Lord who is willing and able to redeem Israel out of all his troubles. And we conclude our prayer with a hearty and certain amen, expressing that we believe God hears and will answer this prayer. So let's consider for a few moments Psalm 25 and Lord's Day 52 under the theme, Father, deliver us from evil. Father, deliver us from evil. Let's notice first the plea, secondly the reason, and third the certainty. The plea, the reason, and the certainty. Our plea is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one and all evil. And this petition is really an acknowledgement of two things of our weakness and the power of our enemies. We acknowledge our helplessness. In fact, the Catechism teaches us that when we pray this prayer, we acknowledge that we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment. That we are not Christ. That we are not God. And that our helplessness goes beyond our inability to save ourselves or to change others, but it goes to the very fiber of our being. We cannot stand even for a moment, not even for an eye blink, can we hold ourselves up from a spiritual point of view. This is true of us physically as well. We'll sing in Psalter number 278 in a little while of the brevity and weakness of man's physical life. The flower is withered by the wind that smites with blighting breath, so man is quickly swept away before the blast of death. Physically it's true that we cannot stand a moment. The Catechism has in view our spiritual weakness. Apart from God, we cannot stand a moment. Jesus puts it this way in John 15, Without me, ye can do nothing. And the psalmist expresses this positively in verse 5 of Psalm 25 when he says, Thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. And let's look at some of the ways in which he acknowledges his weakness. He says in verse 1, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And that expression, lifting up the soul, means total and complete dependence. If you look back at Psalm 24, verse 4, the Word of God there says that, and and admonishes us against lifting up our souls to vanity, to things that are empty, to things that are deceitful and worthless. 
The psalmist says in Psalm 25, verse 1, Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul, expressing complete dependence on God because he lacks anything in himself to trust in. In verse 2, he says, He lacks strength inside. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. In verses 4 and 5, as well as verses 8, 9, and 12, he confesses a lack of understanding and wisdom as he prays repeatedly for God to teach him his paths, to teach him God's ways, to instruct him in the way that he should go because he lacks all wisdom and understanding and spiritual knowledge in himself. In verse 6, he acknowledges a lack of, of mercy. That's really confessing a lack of inability to save himself because mercy is pity for someone who is in distress. It is a desire to lift someone who is in distress out of their distressed and miserable condition and it is the power to actually accomplish that. A power that the psalmist says, he does not have in himself. And he also confesses a lack of love, a faithful love. When he prays in verse 6, remember thy loving kindnesses, steadfast love. And then especially in verses 17 and following, confesses a total lack of strength, a lack of comfort, a lack of peace in himself and an ability to bring peace to his, into his life, a total weakness and dependence on God. This is our condition as well. But the problem is we often live as though it's not. We don't acknowledge our weakness all the day. And so God needs to teach us. And one of the tools that He has to teach us is temptation. You all understand that temptation is not a work of God. James 1 verse 12 says, God does not tempt any man. And he cannot be tempted with sin. Temptation is a tool of Satan. Verse 15 of Psalm 25 describes temptation as a net. And the image here is of a snare, of a trap that is laid for an animal or for a bird. And the unsuspecting creature comes along and their foot is caught in the, tra in the trap or they are ensnared in the net and captured and the psalmist here uses it as a spiritual or as an illustration of the spiritual reality of temptation. It is a net laid for our feet. It is a net laid for our soul by which the devil seeks out of his hatred of God and us to ensnare us, to draw us away from God and ultimately to himself in hell and destruction. But God also has purposes with temptation. In His hands, it is a tool to teach. In His sovereignty, He uses it to instruct us and to cure us of our own conceit. Of the deeply rooted personal weaknesses and sins of character. God sometimes lets us go all the way in, sin, in a particular sin so that we learn to abhor it. Perhaps we're proud and God allows us to stumble over our pride so that we are humbled. Or maybe we like to walk on the edge of the world and play with fire. And God 
lets us slip right into the world and get badly burned, badly burned, so that we learn to keep our garments pure. Maybe like Peter, we're inclined to trust self and boast in our own strength. And all the while, God is preparing the circumstances for our denial of our Lord. The psalmist prays particularly for God not to remember the sins of his youth. Because it is in youth, in the strength of youth, in the physical strength of youth that appears to make us invincible that we think we have it all figured out we we our parents don't know better than us our instructors in church or school don't know better than us god doesn't know better than us although we might never say that that's that's how we behave the psalmist perhaps a bit removed from his youth, now reflects on how God taught him during his youth, his weakness, and prays for the forgiveness of his sins of youth and that he may learn the lessons that God taught him through those temptations. The sincere child of God is deathly afraid with the psalmist, of the instruction of God that comes through temptation, of God resorting, as it were, to this extreme remedy of curing our conceit through leading us into temptation. And so he prays, Consider mine enemies. For they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul. He expresses deep abhorrence for sin. And the sincere desire to fight it. He expresses a profound sense of his own weakness and helplessness. Confessing that without God's help, he must perish and will not be kept. And he expresses confidence that the all-sufficient grace of God is able to uphold him and give him the strength to persevere even to the end. Verse 20, chapter 25, or verse 21 of Psalm 25, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. That's God's integrity and uprightness. Our plea for the God not to lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil is an acknowledgement of our weakness. It is also an acknowledgement of the strength of our enemies. The psalmist prays in verse 2 and verse 19 especially concerning his enemies. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Consider mine enemies for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Now, he doesn't unpack for us who these enemies are. The title, which the titles of Psalms are not inspired, but they were set down as the Psalms were uh, arranged and compiled into the book of Psalms that we have today. The, the title of this Psalm is a Psalm of David. and We have no reason to, to, to contradict that. So we may say David doesn't unpack here for us what the, who these enemies that he's referring to are. Perhaps he's thinking of Saul. Perhaps David is king at this point and he is considering his enemies, the nations around Israel who hated David and who hated Israel and who hated David and Israel's God with cruel hatred. And because they could not assault David and Israel's God, they assaulted David and Israel in their hatred. But the Bible teaches us throughout that we have a threefold enemy. That as Christians, as believers, we face every day a threefold enemy of the devil, the world, and our own flesh. The devil 
who is a roaring lion, who goes about seeking whom he may devour, but who also masquerades as an angel of light, who shrouds his schemes in half-truths meant to catch us off guard, who shoots poisonous arrows and fiery darts at us when we do not suspect it through a pop-up link in an email or a pop-up advertisement on a website that we're browsing. The devil lays the net, verse 15, through which he seeks to ensnare us, ensnare our souls. As an angel of light, he he lays a temptation so that we do not see the danger, we only see that which is attractive. We do not see the destruction, we only see the delight. The devil lays the net to snare us. And the devil lays the net for us often through the world. The world of unbelieving men and women and young people who are hostile to God and to His truth and to Jesus Christ or who perhaps are not openly hostile. Perhaps they do not express open hostility toward God and toward Jesus Christ, but they're not not—they're apathetic toward God and toward spiritual things. And they encourage us not to be so on fire for God or concerned with truth as it is in the Scriptures or with living as God would have us to live in dependence upon Him and acknowledging our own weakness. But the world says, believe in yourself. Seize the day. If it feels good, do it. There will be time for all that spiritual stuff later in life. The days of youth are the days to live it up. We have an enemy in the world. These enemies, the world and the devil, though, are, are outside of us. And in some, in some sense, we can say that we are acutely aware of them. We, we think of the devil and the world. There's also an enemy within our own flesh our old nature that doesn't have dominion over us anymore, whose dominion has been destroyed when God regenerated us, sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, sent the light of His truth into our souls, raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. That old nature doesn't have dominion anymore but it is always trying to get the upper hand in our lives again it is always trying to assume the dominion in our lives again over against our new nature our new man in christ galatians 5 verse 7 the flesh lusts the flesh desires to have the things that it wants as the spirit cries abba father causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Our old nature wants to rear its head and looks for opportunities to exploit the lust of our flesh and the pride of our possessions, as 1 John 2, verse 17 says, and to use earthly things as an occasion for sin. The psalmist expresses this awareness of the sinfulness that is, him, that is in himself when he confesses 
his sins, when he confesses his transgressions. He doesn't refer to them simply as transgressions, but he speaks of my transgressions, the sins of my youth. In verse 18, forgive my sins. In verse 11, forgive mine iniquity, for it is great. He acknowledges that his sins arise out of his sinful nature. God may have been sovereign over the circumstances of whatever temptation led him into sin, but it was his own sinful lust that drew him away and enticed him. The Bible says, Jesus teaches us to acknowledge our weakness and the power of our enemies by assaulting God's throne with the prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. O Lord, have mercy. Teach me your ways. Lead me in a plain path because of my enemies. Keep me, preserve me, protect me, because I am weak and I cannot stand a moment. Jesus teaches us to ground this prayer, though, in the firmest of all reasons. The conclusion of the perfect prayer Jesus taught us is, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And the word for connects thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever with the rest of the prayer. But now we are considering especially the connection between this last petition and the conclusion of our prayers. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Of course, when we understand, when we have been impressed with a sense of our weakness with the truth that we cannot stand a moment and that our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to assault us, that causes us, impels us to go for help. Again, the the problem is we often expect help from those who are unable to to give us real help. We depend upon a spouse or a roommate or a friend, a counselor. And certainly other people can be a great source of comfort and support in a time of trial. They pray this prayer with us. They pray Psalm 25 with us and for us as we go through whatever trouble or affliction, whatever temptation we may be facing. But notice that the psalmist doesn't look horizontally. He doesn't begin his prayer unto others who can help. I lift up my soul. But he begins by expressing total dependence on the only one who can help in time of need. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. We need God. Prayer is coming to the place where we say, Thou, Lord, art the only one strong enough. Maybe we say to our children, God is the only one big enough to carry you through, to keep you, and ultimately to deliver you. The God of the Scriptures, 
the God who reveals Himself in Psalm 25 throughout as the Lord. Notice in our King James Version how Lord here throughout Psalm 25 is in all capital letters, which always means that we have the name Jehovah, the personal name that God revealed to, the, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to Moses in the burning bush of Sinai, to Israel in the wilderness. The God who revealed Himself personally as Jehovah in Jesus Christ. The God who saves. The God who is independent. I am that I am is the name Jehovah. The God who is unchanging and unchangeable. The God with whom is no shadow of turning. And the God who with respect to us is faithful and good. The psalmist says in verse 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him. He will show them His covenant. He will show He has shown us Himself. He has made Himself known to us as the independent, unchangeable, and ever faithful God. The psalmist speaks of God's steadfast love or His loving kindness. And in our King James Version, that word loving kindness is the translation of a word that refers especially to the love that God has for us as His children in His covenant that is faithful, that is unbreakable, that always keeps us even when we would let go of Him, that remains faithful to us when we would turn away from Him. Lord is our help. And our Lord uses especially two means to exert His kingdom, power, and, and show us His glory. The first is prayer. Prayer is the chief part of thankfulness. We were reminded in Lord's Day 45, and prayer is the means through which God is pleased to give His grace and Holy Spirit to His people. Means of grace that is prayer. It does not mean we put in the time and effort of prayer as we put money into a vending machine and, ex and, and pull the right levers and push the right buttons and God gives us grace in return. But prayer is a means of grace. Prayer as a means through which God accomplishes His power speaks of prayer as the instrument through which God accomplishes His purpose for our preservation and ultimately our final deliverance from all evil and from sin and trouble. Prayer. And secondly, the Scriptures. A big problem in the church world today is that people do not believe that God has vested His power, His kingdom power, His salvation power in the Scriptures. And people look for a method, for a program, for a technique. When the psalmist says very clearly, Psalm 25 verse 5, Lead me in thy truth. And in verse 9, the meek will he guide in judgment, the meek will he teach his way. God's truth is revealed in the Scriptures. God's Scriptures reveal the way of salvation. Jesus Christ, faith in Him, complete dependence upon God, the Scriptures, as we have them in the completed Old and New Testaments, the way as, as the psalmist did not, and yet speaks of the Old Testament Scriptures as he had them. 
and prays that God will lead him in understanding and imparting grace through them by the Holy Spirit to his heart. God has all kingdom, power, and glory. Prayer and the scriptures are his means to demonstrate that to us and to work that in our lives. Very briefly, the kingdom means that God has all authority and power. God has all dominion in heaven and on earth. He has that. God does not fight as the Ukrainians are fighting now to maintain territorial integrity against the aggressions of a more powerful neighbor. God does not fight to maintain His dominion. He has it. Past, present, and future. God's is the power. That refers to His right of rule, His authority, and His might to fulfill His kingdom purposes for His glory and the, un- and the honor of Jesus Christ as the mediator of salvation and in our preservation and ultimate glorification with Christ in heaven. The psalmist confesses God's power when he simply ends his prayer, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all His troubles. He expresses faith in a God who has the right and the power to make that happen. And therefore, God's is the glory. The glory glory that shines forth in His faithfulness, in His steadfast love, in the fact that He hears and answers the prayer of Psalm 25, that He hears and answers our prayers. He has the glory, all appearances notwithstanding. He is our King and Almighty. And one day, He will reveal that glory when He sends Jesus Christ to make an end of this age, to judge the world, to raise us from the dead, and to make all things new. The acknowledgement of God as our only protector and Lord, ascribing to Him all kingdom, power, and glory is worship. The reason we pray to God lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, is because He is Lord. He is holy. And that's what this prayer is. Ultimately, it is coming to the realization that God is holy. That He's completely other. That He is totally unlike us. That He did not and is not subject to the enemies we are subject to. He is not one who struggles with sin. He is not one who lacks anything or is empty. He is the God of fullness, of power, of love, of mercy, of compassion of the will and ability to hear and to deliver. And so we express it when we conclude our prayers with Amen. The little word Amen that we so often use as a period to our prayers, the end of a chant almost, is in fact a very powerful word that means let it be. So let it be. 
or as the catechism says in answer 129, amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. In other words, amen is a reminder of the certainty of the faith God has given us and the certainty of God hearing our prayers. The psalmist doesn't use the word amen in in Psalm 25. But he does say in verses 20 and 21, coming back to where he started in verses 1 and 2, Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in Thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on Thee. That's as much as if he said, Amen. That for which I have prayed, that the Lord will be faithful, that the Lord will consider mine enemies and preserve me from them, that the Lord will show me His covenant, that the Lord will remain faithful to His purposes for my salvation and glorification are certainly and truly heard by Him even more than I feel that I desire these things of Him. And it's clear from Psalm 25, the psalmist deeply desires those things for which he prays. This is a prayer that comes from the bottom of his heart. As the Spirit has worked it in him. And as by grace, he forms it with his lips and mouth. And there are things for which we deeply pray. This psalm is our prayer too. We pray deeply for the salvation of a loved one who does not confess Christ or for the repentance of a loved one who is walking in sin that they would no longer be led into temptation but that they would be delivered from the chains of evil that currently hold them. We pray deeply for the healing and deliverance from affliction and pain of a loved one who is sick who has been sick for some time, and that God would grant healing or the grace to persevere or final deliverance through death to the place where all tears are wiped away. We pray heartfelt for, the, for a spouse, for a job, or for a child. When we end our prayers with amen, we say, I believe God hears this prayer even more certainly than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of him. And I think that the the authors of the catechism are very wise to use that word feel. Because so often our feelings do not match the realities of faith that the scripture calls us to lay hold of we feel that our prayer has not been heartfelt we feel that God does not hear our prayer we feel that we have prayed the same thing over and over again and it seems that the God of all kingdom power and glory is not answering. We feel that we don't desire what we pray for deeply enough. Yet by amen, we signify that we believe God hears. In spite of our feelings, we confess faith and we confess salvation through grace, by faith in God alone, by, comp- by trust in the Lord alone, not by our feelings. So what a great encouragement and call to pray. What a promise to lift up our souls, expressing total dependence on Him, 
that He will hear us. What a promise and encouragement to acknowledge our weakness and that acknowledging our weakness to God will not bring us shame. What a promise and encouragement to worship God's holiness in prayer. To find our only comfort in the fact that our prayers are more assuredly heard of God than we feel that we desire these things of Him. And to pray for ourselves, for our children, for the church. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all His troubles. And in the meantime, keep us Consider our enemies, for they are many. But our trust is in Thee. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy word. We thank Thee for the means of prayer through which Thou art pleased to accomplish Thy purpose for our preservation and deliverance we pray lead us not into temptation but deliver us from all evil and the evil one consider our enemies for they are many and they hate us with cruel hatred consider our weakness remember thy mercies thy loving kindnesses Remember us for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Give us grace to wait on thee today and tomorrow, all the day and all the days of our lives until that day when in our soul at death we are redeemed out of all our troubles. And finally, in the day of Jesus, our redeemed soul and body from corruption and mortality to incorruption and immortality in the life that is to come in the new heavens and earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.